This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. This week on Meet and Three, we bring you stories about the coldest, darkest season. We start in a California vineyard. It's cold, but it's wet, and things are still alive. There's a lot of life in this soil. We explore two frontiers of cocktail culture— luxury ice, and the rise of non-alcoholic drinks. The rocks traditionally becomes 25% of your drink's volume, and as such, it imparts smells and tastes. And we investigate the risks facing New York City delivery workers during the harsh winter. In the wintertime, after two hours of biking, it's quite easy, actually, for the bikes to sting upside down or slips or slide. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, for some food for thought to sustain you through the dead of winter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Feast Meets West, the show tracing the stories behind your favorite Asian foods. I'm your host, Linda Liu. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, we dig deep on an aspect of Asian cuisine by having a conversation with the passionate people from the world of Asian food. Today, Ellen Goldsmith joins us on the line to speak about the ancient Eastern wisdom of food as medicine. Ellen is the co-founder of Pearl Natural Health, a naturopathic acupuncture and Chinese medicine clinic in Portland, Oregon. She is a graduate of the National University of Natural Medicine's College of Classical Chinese Medicine with a master's of science in oriental medicine. She is a licensed acupuncturist and certified in Chinese herbal therapy. Ellen is the author of the book, Nutritional Healing with Chinese Medicine, which introduces readers to the Chinese medicine way of thinking about what you should eat to achieve balance in your body and ultimately improve your health. In her book, you can find 200 plus recipes organized by season to help readers put the theory of Chinese medicine into practice. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Ellen. Oh, thanks for having me, Linda. I'm very pleased to be here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So a little background for our listeners and why this is actually such an interesting topic for me personally. I have a Chinese mother who has always been telling me about the hot air and cool air in foods, Mm. that I can't have too much mango or watermelon, fried foods, or raw fish sometimes because they can be too warming or cooling for my body. What I should eat in the winter versus the summer, and what I should avoid when I'm on my period and so forth. So not to say I'm a skeptic, but when it's your mom... It can become this kind of nagging advice and easy to dismiss. But today, I am willing to take a deeper dive into truly understanding why all of this makes sense with your help, Ellen. 
okay, I'll see what I can do. First, <laughs> I want to say, you know, your mama knows best, and it, not only because she's your mama, but because she comes from a rich and long tradition and lineage where food and medicine were inseparable. And in uh, traditional Chinese culture, and of course I'm not Chinese, I'm Jewish, but um, I have a deep appreciation for the gifts that Chinese medicine has given to people throughout the world. And your, your mom really benefited because this embedding of food as medicine in the mm-hmm. culture just made it a natural thing. Um, so it's not like she's a scientist or anything, but she knows. And probably she also knows because if she was taught that and she did that as a kid and then as she's growing up, it's also become part of how she operates in the world. So when it's super hot and humid, uh, watermelon makes the perfect sense because that cool air, as she said, or cold thermal nature, which we'll talk about in a little while, is the best thing to counter that hot humidity, especially in New York City, you get that hot, humid August weather, you know. It just uh, is a great diuretic. It's cold. But if you keep eating watermelon, which you can get, you know, at uh, a food town, key food, whatever, in Brooklyn, um, in the dead of winter, it, it's, like, ridiculous to eat that food because it's so cold, and it's cold outside, and what you want to do is warm up. So Yeah, there's some logic behind that, just so natural to just listen to your body and feel out the food. Right, right. And that is the real gift is that, you know, why I wanted to write this book, because when you learn about the energy of food, not just the taste, you know, how it tastes, the texture, which we all absolutely have preferences about, but when you start to attune yourself to food in a different kind of way, which Chinese medicine gives us that framework, you can actually free yourself from all the diets out there and make really good common sense choices for yourself. Yeah. So Ellen, is that um, what drew you to Chinese medicine? How did you start studying it? Um, well, I start, I came through it through uh, shiatsu, which is a Japanese style of uh, acupressure. Acupressure is much like acupuncture, but without the needles. Um, through a Japanese woman, Shizuko Yamamoto, uh, who was a macrobiotic teacher and a shiatsu practitioner, And I had been a dancer in New York City, and dancers are always trying to find out how to improve their energy and feel better in their bodies because that's our mechanism for being. and Such a high-energy profession. Yeah. So, you know, there was always a lot of information coming my way, but when I met this woman, Shizuko, and she did this energetic form of body work on me and told me what to eat, I was uh, bowing down to her feet practically because I felt so amazing. And then I started studying macrobiotics, which uh, came to the United States through George Osawa. It's a Japanese way of looking at yin and yang and food energy. And I started to learn about food energy. And I was a little skeptical like yourself, you know, like when my cooking teacher was teaching me about how to cook the rice. I just was, you know, a little bit impatient with how she was doing it, but... It started. I started to feel different. I started to feel better, and in because I changed the way I was eating, and then it just made me curious about the philosophy, and um, so I just kept kind of following my curiosity. And it wasn't until I landed on the bed of my first acupuncturist, who would treat us in his bedroom in Woodside, Queens, um, you know, where he gave myself and my friend uh, acupuncture and talked to us about the I Ching, which is the great book of changes Mm. and philosophy. And 
and just was so generous in his spirit and wisdom that I, and that I really started to just keep wanting to know more and more and more. I wanted to understand what is this way of looking at the world and how does it work? And, and then you know, using it for my own health, it was really helpful for me just in um, building my own vitality and energy and health. And I just got so excited about it. I just kept going and going and then wanted to share it with others. Yeah. So for those that are new to mm-hmm. Chinese medicine, um, what are some fundamentals or like foundations that Chinese medicine is rooted in? Um, and then also, um, how is it different or how would you describe it as being different from Western medicine? Well, let me start with that. Can I start with that question first? Yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah, because it, it really is different. I mean, both systems really seek to relieve suffering and and soothe symptoms, but they differ in, in their approach and their paradigm. And Western medicine looks at the mechanisms of disease. You know, you go to your gastroenterologist for your stomach and your orthopedist for your bones and your mm-hmm. renal doctor and all of that. And so they look at the parts of the body, and of course they understand the systems, and they treat those symptoms to calm them down with pharmaceuticals or surgery and other therapies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and typically you're like already feeling something. Right. So they're really treating disease instead of health. In Chinese medicine, you know, the doctor in the old ancient times were only reimbursed if your patient stayed healthy, not if your patients were sick. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the the paradigm of Chinese medicine is is rooted in this uh, kind of synergy of nature, how everything works together. And so we're trained as practitioners to look at patterns of disharmony and, and identify those patterns. And so that when the part is out, out of balance, we're always looking at it in relationship to the whole. It's like if you have a garden, you know, and, and you plant your garden, and one side of the garden is doing really pretty well. It's flourishing and growing, and the other side is like, there's just nothing happening there, you know. Is it the, and I'll talk about this in a while, is it the chi or potential vitality of the seeds? Is it the lack of nourishment in the soil? Is it too dry? Is it too wet? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? You know, all these affects the growth of plants, and all those patterns in nature also affect our own growth and health. And so Chinese medicine looks you know, really the, the principles are based on the observation of nature. Mm. And, and so we, it's a holistic form of medicine, and it is, um, it, it, it's holistic. It's the, most, it's the longest, like, continuous practice of a, of a medical tradition, one yeah. of them in the world. And, um, you know, when we, when we meet with people, we don't just look at their symptoms, but we look at their symptoms in relationship to what are you eating? What's your activity like? What's your emotional state like? What happens when you get stressed? What's your body temperature, your digestion, your energy levels? And so we use food and herbal medicine, acupuncture, moxibustion, which is a form of heat therapy, body work, mm-hmm. exercise, uh, qigong, and, and even there's, there are traditions of shamanism in, in Chinese medicine. So health is not separate from illness. Illness is not separate from health. Mm. And, and um, you know, those minor things that, you know, people come to me and go, oh, I'm so tired all the time, you know. Well, that's a problem, you know, because that means something's not, you're not getting, there's something impeding 
energy flow or energy rhythms in your body. And so we, we deal with those things to help promote the body's capacity to regulate itself. Um, and, and even with the most chronic diseases, like I always tell people, look, with acupuncture, we may not cure the problem, but the side effects will be you'll feel better, meaning that stress won't be as profound, you won't react, be as reactive perhaps, your immune system will be stronger, you might feel more at ease, you might sleep better, etc. So, um, Yeah, and you mentioned that um, it's old, one of the oldest uh, practices. Just how old is the practice of Chinese medicine? Well, it's I, you can go back to ancient texts over 3,000 years old. Wow. And those books are still um, available for study. You know, the classical texts like the Neijing and the Shanghan Lun, uh, the Golden Cabinet, these, these books are available and, and have been translated. What's interesting is that modern China <laughs> doesn't always embrace the, the ancient roots of Chinese medicine. In fact, Mao actually westernized and standardized Chinese medicine um, to make it more, I don't know, functional and, and doable. He kind of eliminated the shamans and the Qigong masters, et cetera. So it really is, you know, it, it is a complete medical system, and it's been practiced continuously, like I said earlier. And what's beautiful about it, because of its root in nature, is that you see it adapted to and evolving across cultures throughout the world. Like the way Chinese medicine or Asian medicine is practiced in France with the influence of the Vietnamese is, is quite different than the Germans that were really good at creating machinery to measure electronic frequency to the Japanese that have a very refined and different way of practicing. And the American style of acupuncture evolves as well. So it's... Um, oh, that's so interesting, the regional yeah. differences. Yeah. And even in New York, you know, where there's a a large Chinese community, you're going to see a wide variety of, of uh, the way Chinese practice as well, because it, its roots also were a lineage tradition, mm. learning from one's grandfather, usually passed on to men, but um, that's changed. And I noticed in your book, you really promote um, also eating seasonally and mm -hmm. locally, and that sounds like it really ties to the thinking behind Chinese medicine, too. Yeah, absolutely, because it's like um, the macrocosm, what's out there, like the climate, the, the yeah, the climate, the season, mm -hmm. is also reflected in us. I mean, there are times that we feel too hot and too dry. There are times we feel too cold and too lethargic, or what we say in Chinese medicine is damp. Um, and by eating seasonally, you take that kind of, well, I'm in the Pacific Northwest now, this cold, damp weather, and you see what you can eat to minimize the dampness, because dampness in the body is like mucus and phlegm and bloating and indigestion and feeling like, ugh, brain fog and, and those kinds of things. You want to get rid of foods that would promote that, and then you want to eat foods that would also improve one's uh, ability to digest and transform and absorb the food that you do eat. So it, it gets very complex, mm -hmm. but if, if you just look at the seasonal aspect, that's a great place for people to start because people know when it's cold outside, they know when it's hot outside. And you want to eat those foods or ways of eating that can counter what's outside so that you can feel warmer in the winter 
and cooler in the summer. Yeah. So thinking about climate, about region is a great way to start. I mean, your book is just so rich with information, but since we have like under an hour to chat, you know, we're really leaning on you for a one-on-one. Um, so also thinking about, um, you mentioned some terminology that I don't think everyone is familiar with. So yin and yang or tea, um, or even like the dampness. Could you talk about some of these key concepts we should keep sure. in mind? Yeah, as we figure out what to feed ourselves. <laughs> sure. Well, yin and yang, you know, every, probably most, not most, but many people have seen that picture of the circle and there's a kind of squiggly line in the middle and one's dark circle and usually like some kind of poster or T-shirt. But yin and yang is 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 a 24-hour cycle in a day. It's the, you know, rising of the sun and the, the warming of the warming rays of the sun coming in. That's, that's the yang aspect of the day, you know, where we're active and, you know, we're sharp and we're bright in that part. And then we reach that apex at noon and then the sun starts to descend and it starts to get cooler mm-hmm. and the light goes away. We're moving towards that more yin and cooling aspect of the day. So yin and yang are are not separate. They depend on each other. Like, we couldn't have a full 24-hour cycle without light or without darkness. I mean, you can if you get way up there towards the North Pole, right? But but still, there are these cycles that we all go through. And um, so when we look at, at food, we want to say foods that are more cooling and moistening, like pears, uh, like mangoes. Like yeah, how do you bed. know if they're cooling or warming? So part of how you could tell if it's cooling or warming is when it's growing. So like you're not, like I said, you're not going to get melons growing in the winter unless mm-hmm. you're in the southern hemisphere. So it takes a lot of heat to make those melons grow. And then the melons hold a lot of water. And then when we have anything that's more watery, um, vegetable quality will be more yin, more cooling. Whereas if we have like red meat, which um, is more, it's, it's just the fat aspect is warming and the meat itself is more warming. Pumpkin and winter squash is more warming than lettuce. Um, so it's a little bit like what you have to do is you have to learn certain principles about foods, like fish is more cooling than meat. Meat is mm-hmm. more warming than fish. Um, some foods, like, give me a food, for example. What food do you like? Um, I like rice. <laughs> well, rice. Rice is, a, it's like the foundation of so many cultures, especially Asian culture. Rice is, is neutral. It's not going to warm you up. It's mm. not going to cool you what down. What if I fry it? Ah, but if you fry it, you're going to heat it up because you're adding a lot of fire to it and you're adding fat to it and you're probably adding some ginger or garlic or onion or something Mm -hmm. to it or some spice. And so by cooking method, you're going to alter the food, like cucumber, which is a very cooling food. Mm -hmm. You can saute cucumbers. Like in my book, we have a sauteed cucumber with some uh, Sichuan pepper. So that's going to neutralize it and make it more... um, easier for someone who is always cold all the time because if someone's always cold all the time you don't want to have foods that are too cold Mm -hmm. you can warm it up with cooking methods absolutely oh that's really cool that 
um, specific cooking methods also could affect the nature of the foods. Absolutely, yes. And um, what about flavor? Does well, f- yeah. So fl- go ahead. Oh, just wondering how that impacts the yin and the yang, or the thermal nature of it. Well, the thermal nature is different than the um, the flavor. The thermal nature is like that spectrum of is it going to warm or cool you. So if you're a cold person, you want to move towards the neutral and more warming foods. And if you're a person who's like agitated all the time or runs hot and gets red-faced, et cetera, you know, you might be eating too much spicy food, too much mm, alcohol, okay. too much pizza. I'm sorry, Roberta's. <laughs> you know, um, uh, you're going to want to eat more vegetable quality, more fish, a little bit more neutral and cooling foods. But flavor is a whole other thing. Mm. Flavor is like the movement of the food. So we think of flavor as taste, you know, the experience we have in our mouth, and that's a big part of it. But there are five flavors in Chinese medicine, sweet, which is not just sugar, but like the sweetness of of whole grain brown rice, the sweetness of carrots, the sweetness of of red meat. Um, We have salty, which is salt itself, or the salt in celery, or um, olives or seafood, which is which um, uh, flourishes in the sea. We have the sour flavor, like the sour flavor of a lemon or uh, pomegranate or rose hips. We have a pungent, mm. which goes a whole variety, a big spectrum of herbs and spices, from uh, cooling pungents like uh, lavender and lemon balm and uh, jasmine to the warming spices like cinnamon and ginger and garlic and thyme and um, aniseed and cinnamon, those kinds of things. And then finally, the bitter, which I always say in Western culture is probably the most maligned flavor. <laughs> you know, we, we, we imbibe it, of course, a lot by drinking a lot of coffee or drinking beer or eating chocolate. Right. But, I mean, did your mom make you, like, bitter melon or oh definitely yeah it was a staple yeah do you like it i do but you know i can only find it in chinatown that's right because it is an asian food um it's very hard to find you will not likely find it in a western grocery store but you can find bitter foods like um radicchio and endive and Mm. even the hearts of romaine lettuce is very bitter or dandelion greens which grow you know which i remember living in italy and watching the older italians with their little plastic bags on the hills you know um digging up dandelion greens to bring home and boil you know so you need to have all five flavors because the bitter flavor will cool and and get rid of heat in the body and kind of be detoxifying Mm mm-hmm the pungent will help just kind of wake up your senses, and 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 we can use pungent flavors when someone has a cold mm-hmm. to help move things to the exterior. The sour flavor, because, you know, when you pucker on a lemon, you start to, all that saliva Salivate. starts to yeah. get going in and salivate, so it's going to be hydrating to the body. Um, the salty flavor has a, a, a strong effect on the kidneys, and not in a p- negative way, but it, it helps the water metabolism. Um, and helps our kidney function so we urinate effectively and filter that water out. Um, and the, where, where am I left to? The sweet, the sweet flavor, not the sugar, but the sweetness of whole foods will be nourishing and harmonizing and calming. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, we can use sweet, extra sweet, whether it be honey or some little bit of sugar as a treat. And, you know, it's like you have a meal and then you have a bunch of desserts and everyone seems to calm down and then get very giddy. Right. So what's the ideal balance here? Are we looking for all five flavors in every meal, in a day? Um, How do we achieve this? Well, I think it's good to have it in most every meal. Like, even if you have um, a salad, right, you would have some, let's say, romaine lettuce, which is bitter. You can have some shredded carrots or beets, which are sweet. You can have uh, a little bit of olive in it mm-hmm. that's got a saltiness to it. You put the oil in vinegar. You've got to get that sour, and you put some salt. And, you know, so you can get five flavors in, in one dish sometimes. Mm. But if you go for a meal, like if you just go for a meal with, like, brown rice and, and squash and, I'm not, you know, just very bland and beans, you're going to... You're going to crave something. You are going to crave something. And you're probably going to go for something that you go, oh, God, why did I eat that, you know? And then the pint of ice cream is gone. You're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And that's more sweet. So if you have even just a little bit of, like, sauerkraut or pickle or kimchi, um, you know, if you just have a little kind of surprise on the plate, so you get those five flavors on your plate, and you Mm -hmm. get those five colors, like green dark, like black or purple or blue or uh, beige, yellow, orange, red, you know, you get those colors, your senses start to do the work. You know, mm. our bodies are so smart that if we, if we get the palette of color and flavor and texture, we're very satisfied. Yeah, that's great. Um, I completely agree. I think um, having, you know, different flavors really satiate uh, the palate. Um, you know, uh, I definitely experienced that when, you know, sharing um, big Chinese meals with others rather right. than just eating my own thing. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and there's, you know, we're all experts in eating. You know, I'm, I'm sure people who listen to your show love to eat. Um, and, you know we can wake up our senses because food is not just like medicine, like we, you know, this personal experience you do by yourself. It's social. It's about love. It's about nourishment. It's about joy. It's about generosity. And and when you have that, you know, multi-tiered texture and, and way of cooking and, and flavor, you just are more satisfied. Yeah, 100%. All right, so we're going to take a really quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. 
It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MoFad's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org/events. Welcome back. You're listening to Feast Meets West, and we have Ellen on the line. Um, so, Ellen, it is like you said, dead of winter right now. We just got a little bit more snow here in New York.、Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite ingredients or recipes you can recommend for those of us in a cold and dry climate? Well, I have one of my favorite winter recipes, which I I don't eat much meat, but I'll always have this every winter, which is a、um, a lamb stew. It's in my book. It's a nourishing lamb stew、mm-hmm. with.、Um, I put a Chinese herb in there called dangui,、uh, which you can. You have to get it in a Chinese herb store,、mm-hmm. um, and that's a very famous、um, famous herb used for women because it's very nourishing.、Oh. It builds the blood.、Uh, so, like women who have menstrual issues.、Um, And especially those who have cramps and, and get cold,、mm. or women who are, are looking to build fertility and they eat meat,、um, you know this lamb stew is just fantastic. And what's in it is that you have、uh, lamb shoulder and some butternut squash and Swiss chard, and you also use some Sichuan peppercorns,、uh, which you just heat up in the oil for a little bit till they turn、mm-hmm. gray and pull them out because they can be quite numbing. It's called usually、yeah. numbing pepper. Um, uh, ginger root, which is absolutely one of my favorite herbs to use because it's so good for the stomach. It's harmonizing and warming. It's you can use it in tea. You can put it with vegetables.、Um, you can kind of、uh, perk up a, a nice broth you're making, a mushroom broth you're making.、Um, so use ginger root. It's got some scallions、um, into it.、Uh, garlic, which is very very warming, and some cinnamon stick and Whole star anise,、mm. so it, it comes very flavorful. Very flavorful, and you cook it for a really long time so that the meat is very broken down into it.、Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like you're just—I don't know—it's mana. It's so yummy.、Um, it's <laughs> like one of those dishes my daughter always asks for in the winter, and、um, like I said, it's just really great for women. It's very warming, like I said, blood building.、Um, And in women, blood is considered our essence because we we lose it every month. And so, as we lose blood during our menses, then we we have to build that blood back up again.、Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you tend to run cold and you feel like you need a really nice,、mm-hmm. delicious, warming dish, this is a fabulous dish. But if you're a person that runs hot,、mm-hmm. I would probably say for you to make something more like a. A winter squash soup, which、okay. I have, you know, or you could even make that、uh, lamb stew if you're a vegetarian with、um, chickpeas instead of lamb.、Uh, 
I had a, a, a vegan in my class one year, and she goes, oh, it sounds so good, but I can't eat the lamb because I'm a, a vegan. So mm-hmm. I said, well, let's try an experiment. And, you know, with the chickpeas, it's delicious as well. It's just not as warming. Yeah. So, so it another. sounds like you can adapt um, most of your recipes for different individuals, different seasons. Mm-hmm. That's right, because, you know, not every vegetable is good for everybody. Ah. We're, we're, we're <laughs> how, all, how will we know what to choose? Well, I mean, like I said, if you're cold right. and you go, you're a person who like runs into a store and grabs something cold from the, mm-hmm. the So kind of go. like observing your own behavior. And there seeing, you okay. go. And observing how you feel. I mean, if you're cold, you probably are a person who struggles with energy a little bit. If you're hot, you might be like hyperactive and, and you get irritated easily mm-hmm. or frustrated easily. Um, or you just feel like you run hot, you know? So those are really simple things to, to be aware of. Um, if you run hot in winter, you know, having those bitter foods that are cooling are like kind of opening a little heat vent so some of that heat can escape your body. So like I have a recipe for um, uh, romaine lettuce where you grill it for five minutes under Ooh. the broiler mm-hmm. with a little bit of avocado oil and then you can make a sauce that has um, anchovy, lemon, and scallion in it. Or, again, if you don't eat fish, um, you can make that with uh, lemon and scallion and a little olive oil and salt. And then you just put that sauce on top with some um, uh, roasted um, pistachio nuts. Mm, and when would you recommend um, us to make that? Well, I think that's a, it's a good dish. It's in my autumn category, but I think in winter it's also a pretty good dish because it's got that cooling aspect of the, um, you know, gives you that fresh feeling and that fresh food that you like. But because you grill it for just a, like three to four minutes, what it does is it breaks it down and makes it more digestible. So for people who have, like, trouble digesting food, raw food is going to be really hard because that means your body has to do all the digestive work. That's why eating cooked food can be easier on one's digestive system. Oh, okay. Yeah, so those are, you know, soups are really good. Like, the thing about New York is it's really cold outside, but then you get in the subway and it's super hot, and then you get into your apartment, and if you have heat, it's super hot, and it's super dry. So. You need to have foods that are also hydrating, so that's why soups are really good, Um, you know, or like a a consomme broth, like I have a mushroom uh, immune broth that just helps stimulate, you know, mushrooms are really good for our immune system, so it helps build you up and protect you from all those colds you can catch, or spinach, which is is also lubricating, uh, nuts and seeds, things Mm -hmm. like that are... um, and that buttercup squash soup, that warming winter squash soup I talked about, you can put some Napa cabbage in that. And so you want to you want to hydrate yourself. You want to mm-hmm. make sure that you're not hot and dry because you you don't want to dry up. You know, you want to stay warm, but you also also spring is coming. Remember, so you don't want to get so hot that when spring comes, you're like you're not ready for it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's a number of things to consider. Always. <laughs> um. And, uh, well, I understand Chinese medicine can help a lot with ailments. And actually, I'm just recovering from a cold. So you mentioned some tips previously about um, how to protect ourselves or combat the common cold. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some other things we can do? 
So when you're recovering, Linda, is it that you're tired or is it that you're coughing or you just kind of still have... Yeah, I think it's some residual coughing Mm -hmm. um, and uh, just, you know, not feeling 100% um, with my energy levels. Right. So, you know, when our energy levels are low after after a cold, we, we, we want to support that. And again, I think one of the easiest ways is to take any stress off of our digestive system. So I say, like, if you're sick, if you're getting sick or you're recovering, you, you want to eat pretty simply. Um, if you're getting sick, you want to cut out, like, uh, shrimp, spicy food, pizza, alcohol, steaks, you know, all those things that <laughs> those are, like... complex foods. All those complex foods that are hard to break down yeah. because your, food, your body's trying to fight something off. So, you know, like, again, like, more vegetarian-type soups or fish soups, um, you know, ginger, um, you can have like a, a, a tea or, or make like a soup and put ginger and scallion in it because that kind of pungent flavor will help disperse some of the, um, what we call in Chinese medicine, the external pathogen. And, you know, the Chinese medicine really talks about the invasion of wind and heat or wind mm. and cold. So um, you can, you know, add like to rice grated, daikon and and just some ginger juice that'll help scatter the cold if you have a cold with chills and if you're coughing with phlegm you can um you can make a dish with uh i talk a lot in the autumn section about pears pears Mm -hmm. are very cooling Mm -hmm. but they also help to get rid of phlegm so you can poach that with some lemon and some ginger or i have a tea that uh it's called Clear the Lungs Tea, and it's with almonds and anise seeds where you bring four cups of water to a boil, and then you add in a um, tablespoon and a half of almonds and a teaspoon of anise seeds. Um, you, you, I'm sorry, you put the water in, and then you bring it to a boil with those things, and then you reduce the heat and simmer it for 10 minutes, and then you strain it and um, put it back in the pan with a teeny bit of green tea, let it steep mm. for three minutes, and then drink that. The aniseed really helps to get rid of phlegm, and it has a very lovely flavor. Yeah, it sounds the, delicious, actually. Yeah, and the almonds actually are very sweet. And um, in Chinese medicine and food energetics, all foods like herbs, because it really is the foundation of Chinese herbal therapy, have an affinity for different organ systems, and almonds have an affinity for the lungs, so they help to clear phlegm. So those are some things that you know you could do. And uh, peppermint tea is good. Um, chrysanthemum mm-hmm. tea is really nice. Uh, like I said, ginger. Um, and what's your advice for stocking a kitchen? Oh. Um, and especially for those of us that have never bought some of those ingredients before. So, I mean, I think like pear, um, almonds, um, we come across easily. But um, the herb you mentioned that helps like fortify blood for women. Dangwe, yes. Yeah. So um, in, in my book, I have a whole section of, of resources of, of herb uh, online where you can get it, uh, you know. <laughs> Thank you goodness get... for the Internet. Oh, my God. It's true. But... The great thing about New York City is if you can get yourself to Chinatown, either in downtown Manhattan or out in, in Brooklyn, and I'm sure in Queens, um, you know, if you go into a Chinese herb shop and, and you can get those herbs. I mean, I like to make sure that my herbs are 
clean, that they're organic. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the herbs in China that come from China, if they're not certified organic, there's a lot of toxicity in them. So, um, you know, you can, um, like, mountain rose herbs, on, um, they're a, a source um uh, Online, uh, I think Campo Herbs downtown in on is that no, I don't know Kenmare or Grand Street. They have they have herbs there, um, but you can always find those unusual herbs like lotus mm-hmm. seeds or um, Job's tears. Uh, Job's tears you can find usually in like a health food store under Hatomugi, mm-hmm. the type of barley, a really nice nutty kind of uh, gluten free barley. Um, but you can in the book I have places where people can get things online, because I, I knew that, you know, a lot of people don't live in the middle of New York. They live in the Midwest or somewhere where you can't get them. So yeah. thank God for the internet. Yeah. And um, is are there substitutions you could make? Yes, there are. Um, but I feel like I get the sense that you, you recommend um, getting the recommended herbs where possible. Yeah, I think you want to, if you can, it's a good idea. But, you know, I do also recognize, like, okay, not everybody will be able to get Hatomugi or Baishao, which is white peony. But you can leave those out and just use, like, azuki beans um, and ginger root. I mean, it's not going to be the complete dish, but it's Mm -hmm. going to be just as good, I would say. Um, You know, uh, I think, like, you can make that lamb stew without the dongwei, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, but if you do the dongwei with all those other herbs and ginger, it's going to potentize it and really make it more medicinal. So if you leave out those special herbs, you'll take away a strong medicinal component, but mm-hmm. the food itself has a therapeutic component. For and you sure. asked Linda about stocking the kitchen. I would say the biggest thing is you want to go and Maria Kondo it, you know? <laughs> you want to go in there and you want to go, okay. Are these cookies and candies really going to bring me joy? Are they really going to get me where I want with how okay. I feel? <laughs> you know, because we all get stressed out, we all get tired, and we all will just default. And you don't want to default to something that's going to then make you feel bad and make you feel guilty or whatever that's going to happen. Yeah, so, you really have to be honest with yourself. Yeah, and, you know, just have mercy, too. I mean, some of us don't know how to shop, Um Go to your store, try a new vegetable a week, get yourself some whole grains and beans and nuts and seeds and some good oil, like good quality olive oil or avocado or coconut or some ghee and try new vegetables and try new cooking methods. And, you know, if you don't know how to cook, that's okay. It's a skill. You can learn it. You know, it's, you're, somebody's, we're all alive, so we've all been nourished and, um, (laughs) we go way back in our lineage you know people knew how to cook and some were better cooks than others but it's you can learn it and there's so many resources online now for people to learn how to cook even yeah so with your book um congrats on publishing that it's amazing what do you want readers to take away from it ultimately i want readers to be curious i want you to go wow i I never thought that food could make me feel energetic or could warm me or cool me or that I never knew that that could taste good. So, you know, I I really want people to be curious about food. I want people to start to say that they can pay attention to themselves and 
become their own doctor in a way. And also, it was really important for, for myself and Maya Klein, my, um, my co-developer on the recipes. And Maya is half Japanese um, and half Czech. Interesting combination. And, but we were really clear, like, we wanted food to be delicious. We wanted people to just eat and love what they were eating and not feel like, oh, my God, I can, you know, this is just healthy and I can only do this for so long. So I want people to spark people's creativity, and I want people to share food with each other and, and share health with each other, really. I want people to be healthy and just know that good common sense is rooted in all of us and if we pay attention to nature and if we pay attention to how we feel um, and if we try new things, that we can ultimately um, become our own uh, food doctor. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a very empowering thought. Um, all right, so before we wrap up the show, we always ask a round of fun quickfire questions. Okay. Um, and they're all food-related. Okay. Uh, it's meant to be fast, so just please share whatever comes to mind first. Okay. Um, so you have 200-plus recipes in your book. Mm-hmm. What's the recipe you make most? I, I make that grilled uh, romaine lettuce mm, with anchovy. Yeah. It's a real crowd pleaser. <laughs> it's a real crowd pleaser, yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, is there an ingredient you are always restocking? Uh, ginger mm-hmm. and greens, dark leafy greens. Oh, yum. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, what's the best thing you ate recently? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, it can be something you made at home or out at a restaurant. Oh, well, I made a, a, a seafood chowder with uh, coconut milk and a salmon stock that I had made from uh, um, fresh salmon that we got out here in the Pacific Northwest, and it was just fantastic. Oh, sounds divine. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you have any weaknesses for specific foods? Yeah. You <laughs> What's know, your kryptonite? I don't really. And that's, you know, it's so funny because my daughter, she makes all these funny handles for people on her on her phone. I have an 18-year-old daughter. And and my husband's name is Edibles because he likes to eat everything. <laughs> and my, my handle is food-free. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I said, what does that mean? She goes, Mom, you never, like, binge on anything. I said, I know. I... And I used to. I used to love sweets, mm-hmm. you know, but... Maybe because you've achieved a better balance. Yeah, I think I am. I mean, I really love to eat. I, I, I love food, and I don't think about, like, my weight or anything. You know, I'm, I just... But I used to, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's just changed. Yeah, I don't have any kryptonite. <laughs> I like raspberries. Oh, lovely. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you also have a podcast. What is that, and where can listeners find it? Well, I'm actually on hiatus right now, but it, when I get back to it, probably in the spring, it's called Health Watch. It's on the Pacifica station um, out here in Portland, KBOO 90.7 FM. Uh, but they can stream it online, so it's called Health Watch. And um, what I like to do is interview authors on all subjects from from food to I interviewed Peggy Orenstein on her book Our Girls and Sex and um, you know, I talk about different health issues. So I just try to um, bring different writers, thinkers, authors to light on, on how people can um, take charge of their health. Yeah. Well, thank you for all the answers and for sharing your knowledge, Ellen. Oh, my pleasure. And I, you know, I really hope people um, 
get the book. They can get it on Amazon, Nutritional Healing with Chinese Medicine. And, uh, you know, I just hope to get in, into as many hands as possible and spread the good word about uh, the vibrant power of food <laughs> as medicine. <laughs> yeah, it's just so encouraging to know that we can all actively work on improving our health by doing something as simple and enjoyable as eating. There you go. That's, that's, that's the idea. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up our show. And uh, thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Did you enjoy this episode? What do you want to hear more of? Drop us a line at feastmeetswest at heritageradionetwork.org with your feedback. And please, if you haven't already, we would so very much appreciate you leaving us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back in a couple weeks, that's February 27th, with another awesome conversation from the world of Asian food. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.